Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Academic Dean is sponsored by Myers-McRae Executive Search and Consulting. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gercheck. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to, to welcome Dr. Colleen Perry-Smith to our show. Dr. Smith is the president of Goldie Beacom College in Wilmington, Delaware. Hi, Colleen. So glad to have you on our podcast today. Hi, Dave. I'm glad to be here. This is, uh, it's always fun to talk about the college. Yeah, I know. You guys, if you want to hear about a college, I always say talk to the college president. They will give you the lowdown on everything. Um, so first of all, can you talk a little bit about your college and why students select your institution? Yeah, sure. Um, Goldie Beacom is 137 years old now, and we were formed as a business college for the purpose of creating and educating a workforce for the business community in Wilm in the general Wilmington, Delaware area. And um, that was a, you know, um, our founding father was Harry Goldie, and Harry was a graduate of Brighton Stratton, which was kind of like the granddaddy of the business schools. <clears throat> so he had gone there, he had gone to Millersville to become a teacher. So bringing together his Brighton Stratton and his, his you know, pedagogical understanding was a, a way that he saw he could help the community that he lived in. And so he formed the institution and his love though was interesting. He loved business principles and all of that, um, but his thing was really business equipment. And while the typewriter had been invented and, you know, you know, been in use, but it wasn't really in use because they were kind of expensive for a long time. Um, he was fascinated by that sort of thing though. So he, he concentrated Goldie College and our predecessor institutions, uh, we started out as the Wilmington Commercial College. He focused those really on business principles using what business machines were available, but also uh, business penmanship. And I always think about, I um, in my spare time, I've been working for probably about, I don't know, 15 years or so on family history. And so getting into ancestry.com and the you know census database and all of that, and you see, especially in the census data around the turn of the century, around 1900, everybody's handwriting looks the same. Well, that would be business penmanship, and that's what Goldie Beacom taught. And Mr. Goldie went out and found the best business penmanship professor in the country, this guy named William Beacom, and he hired Beacom. So Beacom came and started teaching penmanship for Goldie. And then penmanship became... Uh, shorthand. And so they we started teaching shorthand as an institution. And Mr. Goldie was a fan of the Pittman method of shorthand. And Mr. Beacom was a fan of the Gregg method of shorthand. And they got into a fight. They didn't get along. And Beacom said, screw this, took his toys, went two blocks down the road and started his own college. So then you had Beacom College and Goldie College, and they competed against each other for 50 years. And then they decided to merge, which was a great decision. And, you know, so they merged together and now it's Goldie Beacom College. And we were in downtown Wilmington for a long time. And in the early 1970s, as a lot of civil unrest was going on and you had white flight out of the cities, 
Goldie did that. Goldie left downtown Wilmington and uh, moved out into a suburb, the Pike Creek suburb. And so we, they built a campus in 1974, which is where we still are on 24 acres, and um, then expanded the curriculum. We started out offering certificates and then became a junior college. Then we became a four-year college. Then we started, then we added a uh, liberal arts curriculum. And so now we offer a liberal arts curriculum or, and then a large business curriculum still. And we offer graduate degrees. We have uh, mas various master's degrees had uh, really um, anchored by the MBA program and then a DBA program as well. When I go to Rotary, you know, I, they, there's the downtown Rotary Club, and that's the big Rotary Club here in the area. So I go to Rotary, and I will have people telling me, I took my classes when Goldie was down at the corner of 10th and whatever we were. I hear it all the time. And they, uh, when they were downtown, students lived at the YMCA. Um, we even had athletic teams, and they played at the YMCA back then. <laughs> so, Gosh, you know that's so neat that you that you can connect with the community with that type of history. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, neat. Because you know when you were formed, you know we're right now we're not well known. People tend to forget about us. We have great respect though in the area. Like if you're going to hire an accountant, you come to Goldie Beacom, and all the accounting firms know that. If you want the business leader, you come to Goldie Beacom, and and people know that. Gotcha. And we're starting to create that reputation in other areas. But the general public really, I mean, they don't know Goldie Beacom. They don't know how to say it. And, you know, and it, it. so having that kind of connection to your community is something that I remind people about often because, you know, it, it's we deserve to be reminded. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, what's new on your campus? Um, We... That we have been because of the change since COVID with, you know, you don't have people. Well, let me back up. You've got, you know, for a while now, there's been a distrust of higher education. And do I really need to go to college? And college isn't going to get me the kind of job I need and all that kind of stuff. And, and for some people, that's probably true. You know, for some careers, you don't need to be here, but for other right. careers, you need to be here. So what we are doing um, as a result of, you know, that kind of narrative, but also just the change since COVID where people are, you know, looking more at certificates and shorter term training programs, because we're small, because we're private, we're, we can be pretty nimble. So we have created a number of certificate programs and, you know, to, you know, two or three classes, three or four classes and invited people you know, to look at those. And then at the graduate level, we'll stack those into a degree. So you can commit a certificate and something and it's stackable. So we've got that ready to go. And we're doing some of that at the undergrad level too. It's a little harder to change up things at the undergrad level <laughs> because yeah. of, you know, how, how degree programs have to look. But, um, but we've done some of that and uh, created a center for professional development and partnerships where we're um, talking. We've got a bank that's headquartered here in the area, and we've been doing some training for them. Um, and then we're expanding that. So we're we're trying to, and we have a very strong career services office. Um, better than 90% of our graduates are in career 
related activities within six months of graduation. Mm -hmm. And that's been true for us for a long time. We actually, <laughs> we call everybody. <laughs> we bug them until they tell us what they're doing. <laughs> Whereas, you know, sometimes you do a survey and then you extrapolate out the results. We don't do that. We actually call every single person. So you um, really know what they're doing then. Oh yeah. But we also do that because we want to, you know, keep the relationship. Right, right. going. So we do that. But we, in order to, to be able to have that 90% rate, we have to have a strong relationship with employers. So our career services advisory board, I, we changed the name of it. I think it's the career services and business advisory board, something like that. We meet regularly and they come in and we talk about, here's what we're doing in this program. Where does it miss the mark for who you would hire? And they give us some strong, good feedback. And then we take that feedback and we have, you know, we take it to the faculty. We have probably half a dozen faculty that serve on that committee now. And that's nice because they're right there in the conversation. And then we, you know, get that into the curriculum committee for discussion and action, if that's what they feel. So it's been kind of nice being at a smaller place because you can get stuff like that done and done pretty quickly. Mm, yeah, good point. Um, well, you talked about certificates and stuff like that. How has your college adapted to the changing landscape of higher ed, and, and, like in relationship to uh, technology and things like that? Yeah, um, we we just hired uh, two professors of practice, one in IT and one in data analytics. Um, so people that are active in the field and they can come in and help us shape our curriculum and um, make sure that we're incorporating what the new technologies are. Then we also adapt through the use of partnerships because that's really where you have to, yeah. you know, it's to bring something to market on your own, you gotta hire the faculty, you gotta design the whatever it is, and then you gotta advertise it and implement it. That takes a long time. And so we're small, we're private, and we're um, considered a liberal arts institution, even though we have a, a strong business program and that was our beginning. And so we partner a lot to meet those, um, incorporating the new technologies into what we do. We have a partnership with the RISE Consortium. It used to be called the Lower Cost Models Consortium, the LCMC. It's very cool. And actually, that would be a great podcast for you to talk to them. <laughs> um, so we import what it is. Have you ever heard of this one before, the LCMC? No. Uh -uh. Okay. Very cool. Um, Jeff Docking at Adrian College in Michigan is the granddaddy of it. And what it is, it's a consortium of private liberal arts institutions that got together and said, okay, we need to be able to incorporate new technologies into our curriculum, but doing so as the kind of school we are is going to be, it's going to be take a long time. It's going to be tough. So created this consortium. And um, for instance, in the field uh, supply chain management, they went to a big name in supply chain management who happens to teach at Rutgers. That individual designed four or five classes and then the RISE Consortium um, offers that, those four or five classes through RISE, and we can reach out and bring that in. So if I have 
a student that's interested in being a you know business administration major, but they really are they'd really like to focus on supply chain management, they can get the classes they need through the consortium. It's a part of our degree program. Our faculty has already approved it. So the faculty have to vet everything, and but we can bring that in. And that enables us to be able to keep pace a lot quicker than I could do it on my own. And then what'll happen is, you know, if I develop this, you know, if I start having 20 students a year that want supply chain management, well, that's enough of a critical mass. I can hire a faculty member to right. come in and design that and I can do it myself. But I don't know that I'll necessarily want to because, you know, it's if it's working this other way. So we have to see. But that type of thing is allowing us to expand what we do in logical ways. Then through the Council of Independent Colleges, they also have a course sharing um, operation through Acadium. And mm. we're a part of that. And then we have been making, you know, arranging partnerships with others, like a coding boot camp. Yeah. So that, you know, our students can go take a 12-week coding boot camp and then bring that back in to our curriculum. And we will give them like 16 credit hours for it. And it'll count toward their degree. And so that way I'm not having to, you know, staff up to teach coding on my own. There's just no need for that. Right. So, you know, it's keeping us more relevant and it's keeping students. The um, the consortium through uh, CIC, I was talking to our registrar recently and I want to say that he had calculated, it was like more than $200,000. It was a big impact that we had because, you know, students get off track sometimes. And through the CIC consortium, if they're off track and we're, you know, I'm only offering the class they need once right. a year, they can go to the consortium, pick it up, bring it into us, get some back on track. And I've retained the student. So the, he calculated the impact of what we had retained and it was better than 200,000. So, I mean, yeah, you know, oh, I'm sorry. The, no. the course share, I haven't thought about course sharing for a couple of years. In fact, that was something I was kind of trying to do at the very end of my career as a dean. But I tell you, a lot of people don't do it. And I and I don't know why. And I'm so excited that you guys are. Because first of all, if, if you say your students first, if you're always worried about the student, this is their way to stay in the pipeline if something falls through. They can always pick that up. And then second of all, you're right. You can build, a, you can build up a class. But at initially, if you only have four, how do you do that? So it, it, that becomes a lost leader. Yeah. And how, how many higher ed institutions right. can absorb that loss? Right. It, until it becomes the leader. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, it, it just, it, these are not the times where you can afford to do that. You you might get a, you might get a couple of calls from previous deans. I know, because I'm going to say you need to call her because there's <laughs> to, because that's, I agree. I am so excited for your students and for the institution. That is, that's for some, it's so futuristic and other people, they just do it and don't think anything about it. So it's very right. cool for you guys. Yeah. And for us, like it, if I don't push that kind of thing, right, we can just die on the vine. Yeah. But, you know, we can, because we're very affordable. We're one of those institutions that's, my endowment's a little under 200 million and 98% of it is unrestricted. Mm. So 98% of 200 million is a lot of unrestricted dollars. Yeah. 
and I can use that however my board allows me to use that. And so what we did was we rolled back tuition. We we did a 50% tuition reset and did that for fall of 21. And, you know, timing is everything. So COVID really messed that up. You didn't get the bump that you had, but we went from 25.5 down to 12.750 at that point, which is what we were given. That's, that was typical anyway, because we had been scholarshipping students at about 50% of the cost anyway. So it just made it more transparent. But, you know, that's, whereas a lot of institutions discount tuition by, you know, you take in tuition and then you give it back to others in the form of aid. That's not, that's primarily not, we probably do some of that, but that's not primarily what we do. We use that endowment money and just, you know, pay ourselves and keep advertise the lower cost of tuition. And then, you know, so that cost of tuition this year, um, I have it someplace. I think it's thirteen, thirteen fifty, thirteen thousand fifty dollars is the, the tuition. So for one year. So that's that's pretty good. You know, where else are you? I, I'd say that's really good. You know, when I ask people, when I've asked other uh, college presidents, you know, what are you doing to help solve the rising cost of education for the students? Haven't heard we've cut the tuition in half. <laughs> That's that is so impressive, Colleen. And we didn't even really cut it in half. We just, you know, because we had already been giving it to people. So we just started advertising this is what our tuition really is, and then you know, used it as a reset. But we still give aid on top of that, too. So <laughs> students can get, I think the the merit aid chart, six thousand is the top of that. So if the cost for a year is 13 and we're giving you six, that brings down the cost to, you know, <laughs> a lot less per year. So, you know, it, it just, yeah. and then there's other forms of aid as well. So um, about 97, 98% of the endowment is unrestricted, but the balance, which will total around 28 million has restrictions on it, but we can give out that scholarship restrictions. Hmm. So we still give out aid. And then of course, students are still eligible for uh, federal dollars. Um, the state in the state of Delaware does not do state scholarships. So students don't have money that follows them from the state here, only to the state institutions, which is another thing that I want to get on the, <laughs> you know, we're going to have that conversation too. <laughs> Well, a couple of times it hasn't met with the you know, any. Oh, that that looks like that's going to be a an interesting discussion. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> um, what do you consider um, the workforce is going to look like in the future? We're actually talking about preparing students that the jobs aren't even developed yet. So, yeah. how do you prepare yeah. students to do the futuristic jobs? Yeah. You know, that's. That's really where the critical thinking, the helping students be adaptable, um, teaching them how to how do you use data in your decision making so that you can kind of see where things are coming from. Um, I think that situation has existed for a long time. My son um, is a digital media person now. He's a VP for digital media at a, a political communications firm, and he was a political science major. He had when he graduated from college, the concept of being a, a director of digital media for a political communications firm didn't even exist. There was no such thing. 
So it gets back to, okay, what was it that enabled him to figure that out? And it's the same lesson that, you know, I think we use here. It's how do you teach people to understand that the world is changing and how do you read those changes and how do you prepare yourself for that? So you want some broad-based understanding. You want students to have the openness to what something new could mean because in the, in my students' world now, for at, I guess at undergrad and grad level, the impact of artificial intelligence, you know, that's going to change everything for them. And we need to make sure that we're having those conversations either in a course or a workshop or through career services or something so that our students hear and understand that what they're getting today is meant to prepare them for a career. And, you know, here are some things that are going to impact that career for you. So I think having the ongoing conversations and helping students to understand they need to be open and broadly thinking and get outside their comfort zone a little bit too, you know, with, um, and I think there are lots of ways to do that. And a pretty easy one is through like community service, um, you know, civic engagement, that kind of thing. It gets students out in thinking in new and different ways. And I think that opens them to, you know, understanding that life isn't always going to be the same. Yeah. And I tell them all the time, you know, you got to think about every experience you have. How does it prepare you? And what are you taking away from that? Because pretty much every experience you have, you're going to learn something from. So what is it you're learning and how, you know, reflect on that? And how are you going to use that going forward? So I think we're having those conversations in meaningful ways and starting to introduce the kind of the unknown early, you know, through the freshman year experience program or the we, we're starting a um, uh, institutional reading program. So all the incoming freshmen will read the same book and, you know, that'll give rise to various conversations that kind of lay the groundwork for what they need to understand. The other thing we do too is a heavy internship program. So students are out yeah. in the workforce and seeing that what's true today is not necessarily true tomorrow. I was surprised. Um, there's a company here that's a pretty big company and they have a program and I think it's five people that they support a year to go through this program, but it's a, um, they, they send them to a local coding boot camp. So people have to apply, but it's meant for workers that are in their jobs and they're saying, oh my gosh, if only I knew how to code, I could advance with my job more. And so they let you apply and they have secured five spots at this coding boot camp. So they send you know, their employees over there for 12 weeks and support them during that time so that they're coming back and keeping pace. And I suspect we'll have other boot camps that are going to kind of come up and, you know, help do that as well. So that's the kind of thing I think I can do through my Center for Professional Development and Partnerships. Yeah. I can do one of those boot camps. So, so what else are you doing to help uh, prepare students for today's workforce? Um, I think, well, the keeping in touch with empl employers to see what's there, making sure that that information is built back into the classroom. 
um, bringing in the right speakers, having the, you know, workshops and the internships and the heavy focus on all that is, I think that's primarily what we're doing in addition to making sure that our faculty use their professional development funds. I don't know any, I, this is the first college I've been at that actually provides every faculty member, every full-time faculty member with professional development funds every year. It's, and then we let it roll over. So if, you know, they get 1800 a year and if they want to, you know, let it roll over for a couple of years, that's okay. They, they do that. But what we're um, really pushing is for faculty to use that to keep current in their field in however they need to do that. So um, when they do that, they get excited about what's happening and they can bring that back and put it into the, uh, back into the classroom. So that's, that has been working pretty well for the most part. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your, your graduates. Can you share some success stories of your alumni who made an impact in their respected fields? Yes, um, and I we're now a part of, I get a download every day. I think it's called Merit Pages. So whenever Goldie Beacom is listed in the, you know, in the news, you get these, you know, you get aware, made aware of it. And I have been amazed at, especially in the financial services industry. And I think it's because of our business, you know, Heritage is a business college. Um, we have had people that have gone on to become leaders in all of the financial services, whether it's banking, um, J.P. Morgan Chase. I'm always amazed, you know, all of a sudden I'll get something from someone and it's a very high level person at J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America, um, Wispus Bank, which is a more local bank. And then um, I've we've had pretty high level people at uh, Raymond James, Merrill Lynch, you know, some of those investment firms. And when, and we invite them to come back and talk to our current students and they can either come back in person or we, you know, we'll do it virtually with them, whatever works for their um, situation. And they, I have been impressed with the people that, the positions that they have ended up in and the impact that has been made. Uh, long ago, we haven't had any recent governors, but we have had three governors that of the state of Delaware that have come through Goldie, which doesn't surprise me really, because you know a lot of times governors were business leaders, and so they came here and then they've you know gone on to do that. Um, the Dupont as a company, Dupont has been heavily influenced by Goldie Beacom. We had a a long term program with them. We don't have it any longer, but they still hire a lot of our folks. But we had uh, co-op type programs with them where students would come work. They would work half a day at DuPont and they would come to school for the other half a day. And or they might come and be in a, a one semester with us and then go do a semester there and back and forth. And so uh, I was in the in a meeting recently and there were a lot of DuPont higher ups there. And they said, oh my gosh, we don't even know where we would be had it not been for Goldie Beacom because we were the backbone of their, you know, administrative operations because of the students that we sent there. So we've had a um, kind of a quiet impact. You know, I, I'm sure we've had business leaders, you know, presidents of whatever, 
Um, I couldn't tell you offhand who they are because I haven't really looked into it. <laughs> it's It's been kind of busy the four years I've been here. But we do have a lot of influence with a lot of um, area employers because students have risen to the top. Yeah, well, let me follow up on that. What um, What are you doing to collaborate with your local businesses to meet regional challenges? Uh, well, through our Center for Professional Development and Partnerships, we are out talking with them and saying, you know, here's, help us understand what your needs are. What are the stressors you're facing? And let's see if we can find a response that we can deliver. And sometimes we can and sometimes we can't. But, you know, we're having those conversations. And and actually, I have found more receptiveness to people to talk to us through the lens of that center because they're dealing with a, just a whole new world in so many ways. And they don't have the answers. And I don't know that we have the answers, but in the conversation, we often come up with some ideas for how do you, you know, how do we do this? I was talking to one um, employer recently and uh, we have data analytics as an institution. And one of the needs that they have is, okay, we need people you know, who are able to take big data, take a look at it and really analyze what it's saying and help us to make decisions based on that. But what they also need is how do you depict that? So data visualization. So how do you take the, you know, the analysis that you've done and convey it in a way that everybody can understand it? And oftentimes that's visually. Well, I don't have graphic design, but Delaware College Barton Design does. And so they have, you know, we can work with them and do work with them. And our students can, you know, especially data analytics, they can go from our program to DCAD, take the classes they need there, and then be able to do a better job of visualizing data, which is a direct response to the employer saying, you know, this is what I really need. And so, again, it gets back to that partnership thing, though, because there's, I don't need to reinvent the wheel if I've got it just five or six miles down the road. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, with the success of lifelong learning and continuing ed, what type of opportunities do you offer students for both personal and professional development? Um, we encourage them to always be lifelong learners and to understand that their, you know, their career is, there's something that's true today that might not be true tomorrow, or it's, you know, you're well prepared for today, but to keep up, you're going to have to keep going. So we um, encourage them to come back for coursework, uh, coursework or certificates or workshops, you know, if needed. We also, through career services, though, keep an ongoing dialogue with those that are interested. And sometimes they don't know that they're interested until you know, 10 years later and then they call back. Um, but then, you know, we'll talk with them. And sometimes it's not us that they need. They need ongoing professional development, but they might need what the community college offers. Or they might need something that's not, gotcha. you know, we're not going to do and, and don't do. But you know, you can get a, here's something that you can add to your knowledge base. So we try to work through career services one-on-one -on -one with people for what it is they learn. And that's not unusual to have people coming back to us. I think it's, you know, we're small, so they get to know us while they're here. 
But our career services staff will tell you that they're often dealing with people who have not been in school here for many years. And, but they're calling to say, this is what I need. What do I, you know, how do I get this? And, and our career services office will go to bat for them and, and help them figure that out. Are you, are you doing anything with alternative credentialing, such as micro-credentials or anything like that? We are starting to, yes, um, because that's a big piece. Well, we we have been for a while. With You can become Microsoft certified through us. You know, mm -hmm. We have classes for that. So, yes, we do do that. And then in other areas, we are, if there's a micro-credential out there that we can um, handle, like SHRM, uh, we have a, a very active, uh, the undergrad and grad level HR courses. We train a lot of people in business with a concentration in human resources. And through SHRM, you can become SHRM certified through some of that. So we have now have HR classes that will lead directly to the SHRM certification. So we've tried to tailor classes. If there's a group out there like that that does certification, you know, we want to be able to have our students take what they need here to also meet that professional credential that, you know, just has meaning in the marketplace. So we do that now um, in a couple of ways, and we're looking at more all the time. Um, financial services is one that's, you know, like broker's licenses and that sort of thing. Um, that's something we haven't figured out quite yet. <laughs> I imagine it'll be the next frontier that we'll figure out though. Well, but I bet I you will. Because I, when I got here, I would have thought, oh yeah, you can do this, but it, we haven't. And it may just be that we haven't had the faculty in that area that have really had an interest in it. Well, you mentioned community service and civic engagement. So how is your college incorporating those two things into the educational process? Oh yeah, we do. That's a huge learning opportunity. We're a part of it's called Transform Mid-Atlantic. It used to be the Campus Compact Mid-Atlantic. And Campus Compact is a civic engagement organization. It's national. Um, a lot of colleges were, have been a part of Campus Compact. Campus Compact as a national organization has kind of broken up over the last few years. And so they still have the national, but they also have regional affiliates. Or actually, it's not even an affiliate. It's a standalone thing anymore. We're a part of Transform Mid-Atlantic that used to be Campus Compact Mid-Atlantic. And we bring in a lot of educational um, opportunities through them that helps us to um, kind of undergird civic engagement and community engagement here so that students have that. Our next step is, is to have individual classes start to require some of that. Um, our, like right now through student affairs, we have the, Del the Food Bank of Delaware on campus once a month and we're a site. So community members come in for the food that's offered through the food bank and our students run that. Um, we have an AmeriCorps VISTA person who manages a lot of our um, career, or I'm sorry, our civic and community engagement. And so we're at the Boys and Girls Clubs. We have a strong partnership with one of the um, or middle schools that's not too far from us. And we work with their AVID program a lot. And then, you know, so students see that, okay, you know, giving back is, is not only, you know, I'm learning from it, but it's fun to do. Yeah. 
And so we try to make sure that they see that. Now we want to take it the next step further and have various classes give you credit for some of that. So, you know, if you're teaching a course on leadership, you know, leadership in business, and you want to, you know, what is, what, what is corporate social responsibility? What does that mean in the corporate setting? Well, one piece of it is community service, civic engagement. And so you can teach, you know, teach the concepts in the classroom and then have a, a field requirement for the students. And, you know, that brings the learning home. And we do have one professor who's doing that now pretty successfully. And he, you know, it's it's a little bit more of a pain because you got to do more logistical work. But with our AmeriCorps VISTA person, you know, she can take that off his plate and she can work with him to ensure that the learning outcomes and all of that are met. But, you know, she can handle the legwork of it <laughs> so that he doesn't have to do that. So we're, you know, doing some of that outside the classroom. Good, good. That seems exciting. Mm -hmm. um, here's my last question. What advice would you give to prospective students and their family when choosing the right college or university for their education? Uh, <laughs> I always tell them, choose a place, you know, it doesn't, choose a place that you feel very comfortable at, but that you also feel is going to push you to new, to learn new things and do new things. Because, you know, a lot of times it used to be that you would tell students, you know, if you feel comfortable on that campus, that's the best place to go. And that's still true. But I would, but you really need to make sure that it's a place that's going to encourage you to grow and, you know, become the best version of yourself that you can be. And sometimes that's not necessarily the place where you are the most comfortable. You know, sometimes it's got to be someplace that, you know, just has something that's a little bit intriguing to you and you want and, you know, wants to push you out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And and then also to really look at what is that cost of education? Because, you know, you're going to pay it. You're going to pay money no matter where you go. That's that's just the nature of things. So even if you go to a, you know, community college, you're still paying something. You still have to drive there. You still got to buy your books. You still, you know, it's not, nothing is ever free ever. <laughs> and we're affordable, but we're not free. And so make sure that you know what you're getting for that money and make sure it's what you want because you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're paying and the return on that investment has got to be there. So make sure that you understand what that return on investment is. I have parents all the time who will say, are you sure that's all you cost? That's really all you cost. And I'll always say, yep, that is. And, and although it's a great price, I might not be the right place for your child. And because you know, I might not have the major or I might, you know, what we require in the classroom might be different than what, you know, than what they really want. So understand all of that before you make your final decision, you know, really investigate. I think sometimes people look at price and that's, you know, we're only, we're going to go to the least expensive, but that might not be the right. Yeah. It might not return the outcomes that you want. Yeah. 
Great point. Well, Colleen, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. You're welcome. Anytime. And you have a wonderful day. You too. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Academic Dean is sponsored by Myers-McRae Executive Search and Consulting. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.